0: Welcome to anti a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing fathers and fatherhood in Star Trek. Uh, but first, Annika, I had some concern from listeners. A tree fell on your house. Are you and your house okay?
1: My daughter and I were not here when it happened, mm. so... We were not in, ever in any danger. I think it would have been much more horrible if we were yeah. here for it, even though the it only hit part of the house, like one corner um, and the porch. So all told, they, there's not a lot of damage. And in, I've already, you know, I've spoken with many, many people <laughs> <laughs> for the insurance. I have all sorts of quotes. They're going to replace the roof and all of the connections for the electricity, but we had electricity and cable, uh, not cable, uh, internet restored the, you know, within 48 hours. Okay. So it was not, it was, it was okay. It was just, the tree is still in my yard. It's, <laughs> it's pretty, you know, it's not great, <laughs> but um, but it could have hurt. It could, it could have been much worse. If we'd been home, it probably would have destroyed my car, yes, and terrified me and my daughter. Yes, so so I think all told, it's okay. And all of the cats are also—they were all fine. Which is really the most important thing. But we found, all the cats. Were fine. There were no holes. They couldn't have. They couldn't have escaped. And they were in a fine mood. We did. Uh, we left until we got power back and everything. And we did take two of the cats with us, the two more skittish ones, but I think it was more for us than them. (laughs) (laughs) So those are my emotional support cats. Yes,
0: (laughs) We, we really needed emotional support cats and all this happened you know we were going to record that night and we were going to do it late because you were out with a commitment so your car was saved and at some point on that day I I just received that message from you Uh, I can't record this week because a tree fell in my house and I'm like oh my god I hope they're okay I hope the cats are okay I hope there's not too much damage and then I walked out and I looked at all the trees perilously close to my house and I was like you guys are on notice anyway the Star Trek topic we were going to discuss the night the tree fell on your house uh, was dads in Star Trek. You made a list of, like, yes. not inclusive, but the ones you felt there was something interesting to say. And yes. there are so many yeah. terrible dads in Star They're Trek. they Like, all terrible. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going through the list of main character dads, and we have Sarek, we have Kyle, Sergey Rozenko did nothing wrong ever in his entire life. Joseph Sisko, perfectly good man, not his fault. the prophets made him rape a lady. Uh, and then <laughs> we're just back to the terrible. I guess Chicote's dad
1: is pretty okay, like, I mean, except that like he and Chicote were in a fight for ever. Yeah, but I feel like that's more Chakotay's fault, that, yeah. that's true. It's definitely, it was definitely Chicote was the problem. I that. feel
0: like that's a, a, a situation where it's not that he's a bad dad, it's just that he and his son have very different worldviews and couldn't reconcile them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely... In the one episode, really, where yeah, it was a thing.
0: the horrible racist episode that the, no yeah, one the horrible.
1: Watch. I mean, it's really they really really bad episode that no one should watch voluntarily. But yeah. in that one episode, I think they were trying to tell a story about parents, you know, like traditional parents and children who want to assimilate into their new culture right right that's that's the vibe i got (laughs) from that story but it the everything about it all of the trappings were so awful that that story was not yeah going anywhere it wasn't
0: no it was not told well the episode we're discussing if you're not familiar with voyager is tattoo a second season episode where we learn that uh the native South Americans from whom Chicote now descends got their culture from aliens and
1: literally no one All white aliens. Like yeah. literally white. white White Oh White my gosh. White. Aliens. Everything is bad. There are some pretty
0: offensive episodes of Star Trek, but I would put that in the same box as Code of Honor and the truly egregious episodes it is just deeply embarrassing and whereas there were people on set criticizing code of honor as it was being made apparently there was no such pushback for tattoo and i think that really reflects the
1: reflects the lack of native american voices in television yes definitely in television at all it, yeah everything about chicote really makes me sad these days I, I can't even think about his character without just sort of getting upset no that, It's a missed opportunity. It could have been amazing representation.
0: Yeah, and it could have been an amazing opportunity for a young Native American writer or writers to get their start. And it was just completely blown by one white fraudster and a whole lot of white people who are like, sure, this seems fair. We can totally write about the Native American experience. Sounds legit. hmm But yes, the bad dads on our list are (laughs) Sarek, Kyle Riker, Richard Bashir, Owen Paris, Magnus Hansen, John Torres. And
1: that's actually most of the list. It's, it's, well, yeah. I, Mm. I mean, on one hand, conflict is the easiest way. To create drama and tell stories.
0: Right. And even with the Roshenkos, you know, the conflict in their one episode is that they love Worf unconditionally and Worf doesn't know how to deal with that.
1: But that's at least something a bit different. Right. I I'm, you know, thinking back on our mother episode mm. and all of the problem with all of the mothers was they had no character whatsoever. Some of them didn't have names. Right. So so it was very one-note, saintly, dead, or absent mm. mother. Mm. Whereas, at least with the dads, they might be a majority bad, but they're bad in different ways. That's is true.
0: Like, Sarek raises... Three successful kids. I am including Cybok in that category. I think he was Mm -hmm. a very successful cult leader. Uh, (laughs) But it was many, like they were adults before he understood them as people in their own right. And Kyle Riker was basically a deadbeat who I feel like just like Will's mother died and Kyle takes off. Uh, Richard Bashir has his son genetically engineered so as to erase his special needs, and just seems to be kind of a dilettante,
1: which is not a bad thing, but he just seems like a flake. Yes. The reason that he genetically altered his child is to fit him into the the perfect little family that he wanted to present. Yes, yes. You know, he's very much about his image and the story that he's telling. Oh, that is such a good observation. You're totally right. And
0: Owen Paris, in some iterations, because he's, he's written a bunch of different ways.
1: And played by, like, three different people. So. Right!
0: But certainly when Tom hallucinates his father, what he hallucinates is verbal abuse. And
1: yeah, the episode where he's in... The brig and we see flashbacks to his childhood oh yeah it's pretty terrible there too yeah it's, it's definitely not just neglect but like emotional abuse yes and then we have magnus
0: hansen who his wife is also terrible like they are equally terrible parents and i think that they are the, actually one of the worst parents in star trek they're just like sure we're gonna take our tidy child and go borg hunting what can possibly go wrong he doesn't really have a
1: personality
0: beyond that, but I think it's, it's bad really, enough.
1: It's really sad. Like their story is really, really sad to me because in the scenes we see mm. with Seven and her parents, they seem to have a really great family relationship. Like they seem yeah. to be good parents, except for the fact that they literally bring their child into a war zone that they know. They, right, like they know all of the risks, all of the issues, and they do it anyway. Right, and then they're like surprised but that it goes that badly. They all assimilate it. It's like, if you know, that's not hindsight is twenty twenty, guys. No, this no. is a, this is something that that was very predictable. And it's not like that, you know, Seven has
0: an aunt who she could have been left with and raised by. Right. Like,
1: they, right. Had, they had choices and they made bad ones. And I get it. I have friends, my friends who were I went to college with, you know, we have kids around the same age type mm. thing, and my parenting style versus their parenting style <laughs> is pretty wildly different. But I think it's because I was raised by bohemians myself Rush. so so it, it makes sense it's like generational but so i get like i get the impulse to be like i am i want to do my work and i also want to have my child and so i'm just gonna bring her with me like i i say this about a harrison doula in revels is she's like i'm gonna have my kid and he's just gonna be on my ship and we're gonna continue being in the rebellion and it's sort of like That's probably not the greatest idea, Hera. (laughs) And when I write fanfiction, I always sort of, like, have her give him to her father to Mm. take care of while she's actually at war. Like, there's missions, and then there's literally a battlefield, and it's sort of, like, (laughs) make make better decisions. What I'm saying is I love Hera, and I love me, Yes, (laughs) and, and I love being a mom, and I love... That I have, you know, my kids were at conventions when they were in diapers because I didn't stop my life to have a child. Absolutely. And I'm
0: not saying that every parent should, but I think there is a difference between taking your kid to a convention and taking them into a literal war zone to just poke a stick at. An entity that you know very little about but what you do know is that they're intensely dangerous and unrelenting. Right. Whereas, whereas with so Hera very... I feel like we, we know enough of the Star Wars universe to know there is nowhere that her son is going to be entirely safe. You know True. people people thought they were safe on Alderaan. Oh Rip Alderaan. So it's a
1: rough it's rough over there in the Star yeah, Wars universe. Yeah, yeah it is not a safe place to have kids. Like You know, if you put wars in your franchise title. Yeah, yeah. Whereas,
0: like, Keiko taking Molly on her botanical expedition on Bajor, that's fantastic. The worst thing that's going to happen is that they're going to fall over and break something or get possessed
1: by a par wraith. Exactly. I was just going to say, all of the parents on Enterprise Mm. in The Next Generation, like, they're not wrong to have their kids with them. There's the one episode where... Jeremy Astor, his mom, dies. Yeah. And like there, I think there's actually more than one episode where like a parent dies and they deal with that. And so it's sort of, it's interesting. But in that, like in that situation, I feel like that's just being in this kind of like having that job, like a policeman or a fireman or something. They have a dangerous job. They're more likely. Yeah. Yeah. Someone in the military. It's like it comes along with it in Starfleet. So I don't blame anybody for taking, I mean, they made the ship for families. Right. The older I get, the more horrified I am by that decision,
0: but at the same time I don't fault the parents in-universe. I just feel like the writers didn't maybe think that through.
1: Well, I think the writers didn't think that through is something you can say about everything. Right! So, (laughs) it's all good. (laughs) It's, yeah. it's fine. And then our
0: last bad dad on the list is John Torres, Belana's dad, and he just noped out and seems to have been another deadbeat. And
1: because he was, if not blatantly, at least internally racist. Yes, Even though, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy who's like, I married a Klingon, so I can't be biased against Klingons. And it's my like, wife or. is a Klingon. I treat my daughter like shit. Yeah. No. So...
0: I, I feel like John Torres is just... You know, you have your, your space dads and, you know, you've got your people who go off and fight the Borg, and then you've got these guys who just
1: aren't up for the challenge of being a parent. Right. Right. And that's more... Like, you know, I was just describing the closest I can come up with a real world analogy for a Magnus Hansen and it's not it's not we we don't have one. It's like someone who decides to pack up their kids and go fight for ISIS or something. Right. But the the John Torreses, the mm-hmm. Kyle Rikers, the Owen Paris's, like those are people who exist in, in our reality. Yeah, yeah.
0: And even even Sarek, you know, the high achieving dad who expects so much of his kids and doesn't really recognize or respect where their genuine strengths lie until they're adults and he realizes that he can connect with them as adults and respect mm-hmm. them in their own right. And that's sort of my relationship with my dad. He was around and he was very present, and but he, he didn't really know what, to, he's not great with kids, so he didn't really know what to hmm. do with us.
1: Yeah, that sounds like my dad too. My my brother was born when my father was 40. And he yeah. sort of he gotten past like being a dad, he was like I'm not I'm not going to be a dad. But yes. Fell in love and and had a family and had four kids. <laughs> and <laughs> and then he ended up being a single dad, which is a whole different challenge and it was it was he really like if he didn't know how to be a dad to begin with he definitely didn't know how to be a single dad so it was very hard on him mm. and hard on us you know it was a uh, but through, through no fault of any of ours it was situational
0: no no but
1: like parenting
0: and being in a family is hard even when you're all basically functional people
1: who love each other and want the best for each other right the the Sarek as a I know what I want my children to be, and I don't. But I and I know sort of know what they are, but I don't know how to make those things come together. Yeah, like that. I I can I can see that dynamic. And, and like you know, my father was a professor. He was an absent-minded professor. He <laughs> was very like, uh, and he was definitely the type where who had either no emotions or. A volcano of emotions, so... Your dad was a Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> like, everything is explained. And I also am like, I always look at Sarek, and I think I've said this before, because we love talking about Sarek. We do. And his bad dadness. But that that it's him projecting like, yes. his own faults and his own issues onto his children. He's It's not like... It's like he just... I, like you said, he just doesn't even see them as people he sees them as extensions of himself. So it, he doesn't know how to reconcile the way that he feels, you know, his own inferiority mm. uh, issues that I blame on his dad too. So Absolutely. It's, again, it's totally generational here, which is interesting and, again, true to life. And I feel like, I'm glad that they're telling these stories. Like, I'm glad that they don't just have dads that aren't discussed. Yes. But I do wish that there were more functional families <laughs> in all of my fandoms.
0: Well, yes. <laughs> like... As as we see with Chakotay and Kolopak, even a functional family can have drama. And as we see with Worf and his adoptive parents, even a functional and loving family where everyone really cares about each other is still going to have conflict because people have different needs and sometimes they're just bad right. at expressing them. But it's interesting what you're saying about your dad not really being ready to be a single dad because who is? But, oh yeah, no one is. <laughs> you know, it's fascinating that we have... A whole subgenre of, for example, sitcoms about single dads. And yet, I feel like if you're talking about stories about single fatherhood that really takes it seriously, Ben
1: Sisko is almost the only example that comes to mind. Right, right. Like what you just said, the first thing that came to mind for me was like Full House. Yes. Which is both amazing and terrible in like, I love Full House for it showing a family that is really like, basically, we're gonna make our own little family and we're gonna make it work and it's gonna be great. Yes. And that's great that we should have more of that, but it's also, there's so much privilege in, I just happen to have these people Mm. who can live with me and raise my kids with me and we're all going to work together and we're all going to be super successful and everything's going to work out well. Yes.
0: Yes. And I think, you know, a sitcom is generally not the genre you turn to to dig into things really deeply, which is
1: the whole point of One right? Right. But Cisco is special. Like the the Ben and Jake Cisco relationship is precious. It I think is like it's absolutely important
0: as a depiction of black fatherhood it's really important and this is that is so far out of my experience but it's something that I always read and there's this wonderful excerpt that's going around Twitter about a young black man who stood up at a convention and told Avery Brooks Deep Space Nine premiered right around the time he became the custodial parent for his son and he was like I have no idea how to be a dad this is a skill set that I don't have so he raised his kid he started by watching Deep Space Nine and thinking what would Ben Cisco do and I think that's wonderful and I love that Cisco loves his son so much and even when Jake takes paths that cisco doesn't expect and expects to get blowback from it like there's a whole episode mm-hmm. where jake's working up the courage to say i'm not actually going to starfleet academy that is super not my jam and cisco <laughs> is completely approving he's surprised and takes mm-hmm. a little time to realize that that was his plan not jake's but there's no mm-hmm. drama about it
1: it's just a conversation that they need to have which again not to uh, dunk on sarek some more but is literally the exact opposite of the reaction <laughs> that Sarek had when that happened. Yes, yes. If you're a dad,
0: or any, a pa- if you're a parent of any gender, be more like Sisko and less
1: like Sarek. And it is hard. And being, he also was a sudden single parent. Yes. Because she died with no warning whatsoever. Yes. From the get-go, we are introduced to Cisco as being angry and depressed about his wife's death. Yes. But he never takes that out on Jake. No,
0: no, and he and Jake are not sitting in a dark room being sad all the time. You know, when we meet Jake, he is in the their fishing holo program and it's sunny and it's beautiful and it doesn't speak the language of grief as television depicted it back then. And right. yet, right. and yet they are grieving. I love the Sisko's. I truly, truly hate season seven for how it undermined and ultimately destroyed Sisko's character and his family. Right, That's a whole other rant. Avery Brooks pushed back against the ending that had Sisko leaving his wife and unborn child, and they adjusted it, but I don't think they went far enough because that was just Mm -hmm. a terrible way to end that character's story.
1: And we're very unlikely to ever get resolution. Right, right. Like, people
0: are like, oh, well, he said he can come back, but Avery Brooks is not doing Star Trek again. Like, that door is closed for him. And the books aren't canon. So you can have your head canon, but like... I guess, unless we see Jake, unless we see that unborn child, let's get Cassidy in Picard. And she's like, oh. But then I'm like, well, she's married, but her husband is off being a god most of the time.
1: So. Yeah, I, right. Is she. Which lonely? is like so, to- talking about surprise single parenthood. Yeah, yeah. Imagine being Cassidy. That's just so. And that's like, that's another thing that, that bothers me. It's like, we start deep space nine with, I'm dealing with this shock of not having my wife here to help me raise my child. And we also end that way. Right. And I don't, I love echoes and I love cycles and I love retelling the same story over and over again but I do not like that
0: no at all no
1: and also we have already gone
0: through the visitor where Cisco has seen the trauma that his disappearance inflicts on Jake and how it destroys Jake's entire life and then he just chooses to do it anyway and and to do this to not just to Jake but to his wife and his second
1: child who will never know him no no and they will always be waiting Right, exactly. That, which is exactly what happens in The Visitor. So, why? Why? Why do you do that? I don't like it. Back to the
0: topic at hand, it's interesting that we have a second single dad on Deep Space Nine in the form of Rom,
1: who is another great dad. Another great dad. He's a great dad in that he stands up to Quark and everyone, but mm. specifically Quark, on Nog's behalf. Yes. Far more than he would ever stand up to him for himself. Yes. Or even for Lita. Like, he, he would also stand up for his his wife and his loved ones, but it's it's always Nog who is the person that he will go to bat to. And, Whoever he has to fight, he's ready to do it.
0: And in standing up for Nog, from the very beginning, from sending him to school against Quark's wishes, he develops the skills and the courage that he needs to stand up for himself and to right. marry this pejoran woman who's going to keep working and wearing clothes. And Rom could right. not have become the Nagus if he hadn't
1: been such a good dad to Nog. Right. It's it's a it's an arc that he gets to go on. Yes. Yeah, is about finding himself. But he finds himself through putting Nog first. It's interesting that we have this
0: story about a guy finding himself through fatherhood. We don't usually see that with men, but we have many stories about women finding themselves through motherhood, but it's usually a much narrower and more diminishing sort of story. Like We don't often see motherhood being empowering the way Nog's fatherhood is.
1: Well, I think that is chalked up to sexism. That is indeed the cause. Because I think that being a mother is sort of considered to be the default for women. Right. You're supposed to want to be a mother and sort of have maternal instincts as soon as you see the baby or as soon as you feel them kick or whatever. Yes. And... And so it's not seen as a journey at all. It's seen as like you've evolved. Yes. It's, yes. it's the, you know, you leveled up into mother. And whereas fathers are by default. And of course, these are, you know, maybe we're working on changing these ideas. I feel like I have seen some movement In my lifetime. Definitely. But certainly in the 90s. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was these, these were very, very much the norm. And so fathers by default were not good at taking care of kids who were, it was not natural. They had to work at it. Mm. And Mm. it wasn't supposed to be the first thing they did. No. It was an extra part of their life
0: yeah and it's something you know we see with with miles he's a dad and he's a good dad but keiko just takes molly to bajor for months and months and months and it's sort of a joke that he lives as a single this, this life of bachelorhood and why couldn't he look after molly why couldn't he be the full-time dad for a while like, like i simultaneously love that keiko can take her kid to bajor to work and hate that this
1: is the only option that's raised <laughs> Right. I think what it is, is that it's never even considered. It's just, yes. obviously, Keiko is going to take Molly with her. Because why would Molly be left with Miles? Like, that's a crazy idea. Because Miles is the quintessential bad at dadding.
0: Yeah! And it doesn't mean
1: that he's a bad dad. Because he actually has a very good relationship with his kids. And he's very caring, and and he loves his family. But... He's like a sitcom dad. Yes. That he doesn't know how to do anything. What's interesting
0: is that what we see of him as a father in Next Generation, he's much more hands-on and competent with Molly than we see later in Deep Space Nine. Like I'm thinking of Rascals where Keiko is reduced to being a 12-year-old and Molly doesn't mm. recognize her, so Miles is just like, whoop, takes over the, the bedtime routine.
1: I think... I think I can, like, you know, thinking of it as t- in terms of within, in-universe, mm. you know, not externally, but in-universe, he has more responsibilities and he has more to do on Deep Space Nine. And I can see, because they, they do sort of argue sometimes about how Keiko didn't choose to come to Deep Space Nine. That wasn't her. That was what she wanted me doing. No. But it was a really good opportunity For miles. Like he was transporter chief on the enterprise. That doesn't sound like a very exciting job. You're literally watching everybody else go on missions. (laughs) So he is, this is like a step up. Yeah. He's a department head, you know? But it's also, you know, that it's the joke, right? That he is just constantly fixing things that are that should have, you know, been replaced 30 years ago. Yes. Yes. So, in that way, it's, it's you know, he, he left the most well-maintained place in the Federation What you're saying to... is he has
0: more professional responsibilities <laughs> on, on Deep Space Nine and less right. time for parenting. Right, and, and I can buy that, and it's sort of a plot point that Keiko doesn't really have much to do professionally, but it it just bugs me that we never even have Miles, you know. Yeah. He's looking after Molly, and he's like, hmm, I wonder if she'd enjoy the Alamo. Like, we don't even have that level of hands-on bad daddy. Right.
1: right. I would like to have seen more... I mean, I would like to see more scenes of domestic O'Briens that were functional, I guess. Yeah. It's the, it's the, or not, like, it's not like they, they aren't dysfunctional. They actually function very well, but they're conflicted. They're always, again, I I, I really feel like Miles is the quintessential sitcom dad. He, yeah, Or, or like, yeah. Dis, Disney dad, if you've ever seen any Disney. Channels. The dad is clueless and harried and busy and complaining and yes. loves his kids, but can't reconcile them into his life.
0: I think that's a very fair description. And it's a sitcom thing again. But I look at Miles right, yes. and Keiko and I go, I think you two would make a beautiful divorced couple. <laughs> Not in a mean way. I think that... If they didn't, it, like, I think they would be really amicably divorced, but I don't think that they
1: should necessarily be together. He does seem to have a better relationship with, certainly Bashir, yeah. and even Kira. Yeah. like We're introduced to them not getting along, so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> why are they together in the first place?
0: You never, or you very rarely have any sense that Keiko and Miles
1: have ever been friends. He just fell in love with her. Right! I can see that. I can totally see, like, he saw her, she was beautiful and competent and intelligent and kind, and he just fell in love with her and decided that that's all you needed. Yeah, yeah. And, And it's sort of like, actually, that's not all you need.
0: No, no, sorry, the Beatles. Yeah, I just feel like... The scripts too often never really take Coco seriously enough, and in turn that means I t- can't take Miles as seriously. And it's really mm. sad.
1: It is very sad, especially since Rosalind Chow is a great actress who right. she's given something to do. It's and- really good. Like she can portray the tiniest shifts in emotion. With just her eyes and her like her chin, like, like go watch the Joy Luck Club. Oh, She's my I favorite have part of that whole yeah. movie.
0: And, and Col Meaney and Rosalind Chow are such. They're both iconic character actors for their demographics. You know, in the 90s, if you wanted an Asian woman, you got Rosalind Chow. If you wanted a working class Irishman, you got Cole Meany. So pairing them up together should be amazing. And sometimes it is, but the writing just
1: isn't there. Yeah, I think it is the writing. I think it is that... And looking at our lists Mm. of all these dads, Mm -hmm. I sort of do you get some of the idea that either they didn't want to or they didn't know how to write a good dad? I think that is
0: absolutely the case. Like, I
1: almost think that even Cisco was at least 70% Avery books.
0: Absolutely. I think everything that's great about Cisco is Brooks. And with a lesser actor or an actor who was less confident in pushing back against the writers when he disagreed with them, it would have been mm-hmm. a travesty. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because I'm looking at our list, and so many of these dads, like main character dads, we don't really see them being dads. Tuvok? Right, no. His kids are half a galaxy away and mostly grown up. McCoy, an adult, right. Yeah. McCoy has an adult daughter, but we never actually see her in canon because of the 1960s taboo against divorce. Uh, David Marcus is an adult when he develops a relationship with Kirk He uh, same with Demora Sulu, she's an adult when she's introduced uh, mm-hmm. Tom Paris morale is a newborn baby last time we see them right. uh, Will Riker is a pretty hands-on dad to Kestra uh, but his son is dead and Ash right. Tyler just farms his kid out to the monks on Boreth for plot reasons <laughs> And then he
1: immediately becomes an adult
0: as well. Yeah, yeah. One, I don't think this is a franchise that's really interested in children as such. Right, And right. In this whole list, I've skipped Worf because he's an interesting case because he really, really, really wants to farm his kid out to literally
1: anyone who'll have him. And, and like a little yo And he keeps coming back. Yeah. <laughs> and, All right, so uh, someone on Twitter recently said about... So the 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 Bad Batch is the latest. Yes, I'm so excited to watch it. It's so good. I love it. And they've been re- you know renamed the Dad Batch by fandom. Aww, because they found a little clone. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. But but you know someone was said that the Clone Wars, Rebels, The Mandalorian, and The Bad Batch all have this same formula of non-parental figure is is gifted a child, <laughs> and they try to give them away, but they they can't and they bring them back and then the story is about that relationship. It's true. And yeah, it's true. and i I understand the complaints that it's the same story over and over again. But as I said earlier, <laughs> I love the same story over and over again with different ideas and different ways of doing things and I also just I really love that story also at this point it feels less like a lack of ideas and more like
0: exploring the
1: same concepts through different contexts right which is in my opinion what Star Wars is like Star Wars is meant to be cyclical like there's that quote that uh George Lucas says it's poetry it rhymes yes yes that's what we're going for (laughs) we're trying to do it
0: but are you are you building up to argue that Worf and Alexandra are just
1: in the wrong universe? Yeah, right. Well, so certainly, I can imagine a Worf and Alexander in the Star Wars universe where he like just cannot get rid of his kid and he's forced to raise him, and he'd probably be a better dad. Yeah. but it's sort of horrible to say Star Trek's utopian future, where you can farm your kid out, is is what keeps War from being a good dad. No, I think. But no I think one that's like fair. they don't like his parents push back. Like they give Alexander back, and they're like, "Look, we are done being parents. So you have to be the parent." <laughs> but imagine how Alexander feels. I, but I wish that that I uh, yes I do worry about Alexander. I mean I always mm. worry about Alexander. He's so, when we see him in the wedding episode, mm. he's such a ray of sunshine. He's just so happy and so excited to be meeting Jedzia and then the whole wedding and to be like getting a family. Like it's very clear he has wanted a family for he many years. His mom. and and <laughs> it's all he wants. I don't think that Wharf, like much like O'Brien, I don't think that Worf is held responsible for his failings. Like I don't think that anyone ever stands up and says, "You're you a shit could dad. Try harder." <laughs> like, like being angry at at Alexander is not like that. He's he's the kid. <laughs> you you're the
0: you're the adult. Someone is there to help him raise Alexander and say, hey, you're actually really invalidating him and he needs better from you and you can do better. And that's Deanna. And the period when Alexander is living on the Enterprise with Worf and he has that support network of Deanna and his other Enterprise family Mm -hmm. members, that's when Worf is a good dad And it's like, he comes to Deep Space Nine and we don't know where Alexander is for years and years, but when he comes back, he's suddenly an adult, and he's just miserably
1: forcing (laughs) himself. That kid literally ages, like, six years every time he comes back.
0: Yeah, like, maybe (laughs) Tenovix aging was partially all the time crystals on Boreth, but mostly that's just (laughs) how Klingons do it. Uh, Klingons and the Ocampa they have more in
1: common than you think. But so i think and and this is what i'm really saying about star wars comparison Mm. is that i think what the actual issue is is that star trek does not want to tell that story no no that they are disinterested in having to figure out where alexander is or or what he's feeling yes or what he's doing like the you know wesley Mm. is the closest we get to that story like even Jake is just sort of, he he's a foil for Cisco's story. He's a you know he's the kid on the station, but in a much more of a I'm running around and being. There aren't episodes about Jake affecting the plot of the of mm. um, this you know yeah what's happening now. Like there are Jake centric episodes. But they're about Jake. They're not about Deep Space Nine.
0: Yes. You know what I mean? Even when he's an adult and participating in events as a journalist or a a writer, he's still peripheral to the main action. Jake Sisko is not saving the station. I think, like, I'm thinking of the beginning of season three of Voyager and how Jerry Taylor was like, she had no intention of, Letting Seska's baby be Chicote's and letting it stay on the ship like she was just like uh-huh. we are not telling that
1: story That is not a story. We're interested in And I think right. exactly that's what I think it is I think that they are not interested in telling that story mm. and I would include Wesley because they were terrible at telling that story Right It was sort of like Gene Roddenberry wants this story told But we don't want to tell it and we're just gonna wait until he's not a part of things so that we can ship this kid off right and i think it's quite telling
0: that when michael Pillar comes aboard the first thing he writes is a really good wesley story about wesley as a person with all these expectations put on him and Mm. that is that is the story that made people sit up and go oh this is the guy who should be running our show and Mm -hmm. yeah kid characters, young characters are so hard to write, especially in an adult context. And I don't blame the writers for being wary of them, but I wish they had at least tried. And I especially think that bringing Alexander into Deep Space Nine maybe recasting him, but say he's about 12 and he's sort of filling that younger kid gap that Jake is Mm -hmm. aging out of, but as a kid tagging along with Jake and Nog. And Mm -hmm. We could add Zial to that quartet. You know, that would have been so mm-hmm. cool. And instead, you know, Zial is thrust into this adult romance nonsense Ugh. and then fridged. And Jake and Nog, you know, they have great arcs, but I think there was a lot of space for Alexander and one more supporting recurring character would not have destroyed the show. Right.
1: And
0: it's just sad. Yeah. Yeah, and this is why my favorite relationship for Warf is with Deanna, because mm. she she does help him uh, parent, and she is a
1: co-parent to Alexander. I like I'd always read the whole Deanna and Warf relationship as that she you know appeared to help him with Alexander, mm. and they grew close because of it. But even no, even though I just said that sentence, it didn't occur to me that. He, she made him a better parent or that like he was being he was capable of taking care of Alexander while she was there and then when she wasn't there he wasn't like that's interesting and I hadn't I just I really see Worf in TNG and Worf in Deep Space Nine as very different characters absolutely and I think it's a real
0: shame that Deep Space Nine does so much great work with Cisco as this icon of black fatherhood and then takes Worf another father played by a black man and he's just awful and and, like Deep Space Nine does a lot of damage to Worf's character he's often sexist and rigid and bigoted and you really wonder what Dax sees in him and I wonder what I see in him but (laughs) particularly when it comes to Alexander who He's just a kid I feel really bad for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, when we write our spin-off where Alexander is the lawyer for the Fenris Rangers, that he'll finally get his story. <laughs> so two. good. It'll be great.
1: It'll be amazing. All right, are we going to move on to dead dads?
0: <sighs> Can I just say a word in defense <laughs> of James Kirk before we move on? Oh, absolutely. I see a lot of people calling Kirk a deadbeat for not being in David's no. life, but- Carol explicitly requested that and he respected her wishes and I think that's a very it seems like more of an 80s thing than something that would happen now like I want to be a single mother don't be involved in my kid's life at all seems like an old-fashioned way to do it like I think now it would be like I want to be a single mother but if you wish to co-parent in any capacity we'll work something out would maybe be be more of a contemporary solution but it's 1982, and Kirk is being respect his partner or ex partner's wishes guy, and I respect that.
1: Yeah, I've always defended that decision mm-hmm. because, and people seem to think that he didn't know or no! it's very like it's very clear to me that. They had a conversation, an adult conversation that went along the lines of I'm pregnant and I'm going to have the baby and I would really rather you not be involved because I don't fit into your life and so my son won't either. And I don't want that for him. And so I'm going to protect him by asking you to stay out of it. Right. And the thing is that if Kirk wanted to push back, I don't think she would... Just straight up say no. No, that's would true. continue to have the conversation. But I think that Kirk realized that yeah, like he's the anti-Magnus Hansen. And that he was like, Yeah, you know what? My life is super dangerous and I would not yeah. be a good dad to your kid. And it would it would be a yeah. bad idea. Like I would mess things up, and so I'm not going to do that. And as soon as he You know, in that movie Once David knows, like, Kirk looks so happy and he looks, he's so relieved. Yeah. And so it's clear that he did want that relationship and that he, you know, he kills Klingons and gets thrown into jail because he loves his son so much. So it's not, it's not a lack of love. It's not a lack of understanding. It's like, it's, it's a compassionate decision Mm. that they came to. And it's certainly not a lack of
0: respect for Carol. Like, he didn't knock her up and then never call. Right, no. That's, like, no. Yeah. Why are people like that? Uh, my other remark on our main character, Dads, is that it's interesting that Data has three daughters and really depressing oh, right, yes. that he didn't consent to the latter group of them being born or created. And...
1: Right, and it's not... It's. Really, not even just Soji and Daj. There's Sutra no, and no. whatever the one that Rios knew. Like there's All many, of them. yeah, many, many. And he had nothing to do with any of that. Which I think is a shame because I think they would be much better people if he had. Well, yeah. I mean, Sutra really. I I've been rewatching the end of Picard mm. for reasons, and I really don't like that entire android enclave, like, the whole thing really bothers me. Uh, For me, the
0: horrifying part was realizing that they're all under 13 years old, so when you look at Sutra, like, yeah, she's sexy and she's menacing, she is a 13 year old girl who has not been taught right from wrong, and has apparently been taught that her sexuality is a tool to use against others.
1: Yeah, and and by whom? Yeah, yeah. Like, who's who is in charge? I find the whole thing very creepy and disturbing, and I and I don't like that they went there. No, and it's absolute. It's you know, in the measure of a man, where they say if you make a whole bunch of androids, you're creating slaves. Yes, and that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> So I don't like it. Not only
0: are they effectively <laughs> slaves to Maddox and Song's egos, if if not in the sense of being used for labor, but they're, they're then treated as being villains instead right. of the actual adult men who created them and did not teach them.
1: Right, because they're isolated, like they're deliberately isolated and yes. I get that like it was a political... Firestorm because of the whole Mars thing, but it, no, no, no bad decisions all around. Even if you're raising your
0: android children on an isolated planet far away from anything else, you can still teach them about, about ethics. Like, <laughs> Data had it, ethical subroutines, right, but he they, also read and learned and
1: spoke to people, and yeah. Yeah, and instead of teaching them about ethics, or, you know, Shakespeare and Sherlock Holmes, yes, they are taught to seduce and destroy people. Like, they're taught to seduce people so that they can then murder them. Like, that happens with everyone. Actually, all of them. <laughs> I was gonna say everyone except Soji, but no. Soji and Dodge also get trapped in the murder bot trope. Yes. Trope. And I I I it's one of those things where I don't think that they understood the story they were telling. I I think they made decisions about what they wanted to focus on and then they're like what we need here is for the sexy yeah, yeah to put them ill at ease but also like get into their mind and that is bad. <laughs> that is, I just.
0: No, no. It really feels regressive in terms of being an unexamined use of the sex bot trope. Like, justice for Sutra. She's a terrible character, but that is because of so... misogynistic writing.
1: <laughs> right. I blame all of the writers. I do not blame Sutra. She was born that way. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, I don't even just blame Chabon. Like, this was everyone. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that everybody looked at that and said, Yes! Mm. Yes, we will create a secret society of evil, sexy robots, and the Romulans will know that they're evil, sexy robots, and the Federation will have to save them, even though, actually, they really are evil, sexy robots. Bent on universal destruction. Yeah, and and they were like, yeah, cool, great story. There are ways that you could get the data and Picard scene without doing that. I just wish that they had given
0: a fraction of mu- as much thought to anything in Picard as we did. So what we always come down to. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, uh,
1: it's yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Like, I realize that the whole point of being a Trekkie is to think about things too much, but I also think the writers should think about things a bit.
1: Yeah. We'll see what happens with the second and third season.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. We'll see
1: We'll see where it goes from here. Maybe but... Sutra will get the redemption she needs. I mean, I'm guessing that we never see any of them again. Like, that's... <laughs> Look, that's my assumption. Based on the whole, we're not dealing with Picard being an android at all. Yeah. Statement. Yeah. I really feel like we're and and part of me is like yay because I don't <laughs> want <laughs> to see them again. But the annoying nitpicky part of me is doesn't like that because it's another thing with like Cisco becoming you know one with space and we never seeing him again. It's like, well, what what happened then? Yes. Yes. All of these robots I'm sorry I keep calling them robots, but I'm gonna continue doing mm-hmm. it. All of these robots tried to destroy the galaxy. Yes. <laughs> and then they didn't. And now we're never going to see them again. <laughs> like so I've just had a genius idea
0: <laughs> and it's a fic where Narissa, who is not dead, and Soji go on a redemption road trip and yeah. they hate each Urisa other and
1: sutra, you mean? yes
0: yes that's what i meant yeah. and they hate each other and they resent that they have to go off and do whatever this mission is that is more important than their petty disagreements but along the way they learn important lessons about respecting differences and being ethical people and learning that they don't have to use their sexuality as a weapon in every situation and
1: that what? you can trust people yeah you can build yeah. trusting relationships and they don't have to be at the end of a knife yes. or <laughs> or a glass pin in sutra's case I, you know i love narissa more I than i should i do i love her so much anyway anyway
0: then we come to dead the yes. short list of dead dads <laughs> who are all basically really good guys who their kids try to live up to. Jack Crusher, Ian Andrew Troy, Gorkon. I love that you included Gork- Gorkon, though I almost called him Girkon. <laughs> it was very important to me. I love Azetba, so you know. Uh, Henry I Archer. I love a
1: Zetba too. Exactly.
0: Henry Archer, the Kelvin vs. George Kirk. Ah. Oh. Hemsworth. And Michael Burnham Senior. Dr. Mike Burnham. Can I start with the latest example and say that I really love that there are certain parallels between Michael's parents and Articas in that they're both, they're they're civilian scientists and they're maybe Mm. a little further out from the Federation than they should be, but I love that they did try to keep Michael safe and they could not expect that they would be killed by Klingons, and right. we see Magnus Hansen being sort of 90s dad-like, but Mike Burnham is the kid who's tucking his daughter into bed and telling her stories.
1: In oh, that beautiful short trek.
0: Yes! and, and <coughs> So, so precious. Another example of Black nurturing fatherhood.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's so
0: beautiful. And it's not even weird that he's played by Sonequa
1: Martin-Green's husband. I mean, it is a bit weird. but It's a little weird, but, you know, it's just sweet. It's sweet. It was like, we need someone to come in for this, you know, what's a bit part, right? It's not, it could be an extra off of wherever, off the back lot. But by bringing in her husband, it was like, we're going to make this, like, He's a part of the family, you know? Like, it, it gives Mike Burnham more poignance because we have that connection. I, I think you're right. Like, he loves Michael because
0: he loves Sonequa. And yes. the, the nature of that love doesn't really make a difference. Not to say right, that Kenrick right. Green is not a great actor and could not simulate love for anyone that he was asked to, but <laughs> it's, it's like he knows that this girl... Will be a great woman.
1: Aww. Oh, I'm just like smiling. I'm just smiling. I love that. I love. I love that Michael has so many parents. It's just yes, perfect and beautiful yes. to me. It's but... so wonderful, and I and I love that the focus is on her mothers. I was just going to say she has. It's, it's interesting to me that Mike Burnham is
0: the guy who unconditionally loves his daughter and it's very straightforward. And then he dies and that's tragic. And Gabrielle is the one who's complicated. She yeah. is the one with the Section 31 ties. She is the one who stole mm-hmm. the time crystal. She is the one who tries to save the universe. And now she's alone in the... Twi- well, she's not alone, but she's in the 32nd century and maybe she has a Romulan girlfriend now, but she doesn't have Mike <laughs> Burnham.
1: I mean, I love Michael and all her moms and I. but I also really like that she has these that, yeah, Mike Burnham is the one who was the Amanda
0: of yes. the relationship.
1: The story I mean, like, they are paralleled. Amanda yeah. and Mike Burnham are parallel deliberately and I feel like Sarek and Gabriel are also paralleled deliberately in this really interesting way I, whereas... Still, like, of all of his children, Sarek has the least complicated relationship with Michael. Like, he gets Michael in a yeah. way he doesn't get Spock or Sybok. Like, he really just... And you know, maybe it's because they they share that bond, the melding bond thing. Maybe, but or I maybe feel like it's that he doesn't see himself in her because she's. She's a black woman. She's not mm. a Vulcan. She's fully human and he, there's no Sarac DNA. It's easier to sit, take her as she is than. Yeah, exactly. He's not trying to make her into something that belongs to him. Yeah. He's just accepting her as someone that he has responsibility for. And, and someone who
0: he loves. And I think that's also almost. His mistake in that because he accepts her as a human, he sacrifices her chance to get into the Vulcan Science Academy for, in favor mm-hmm. of Spock, who doesn't even want it. But mm-hmm. he thinks, well, she can just go into Starfleet and she'll be happy there
1: because she's a human. Because she's a human, yeah. And, and, and that's his mistake. Yeah, it's just a... It's sort of a fundamental... What I, I think, his kids yeah. need. Uh, I think... He doesn't realize that Michael is more like him than his other kids, right? Right. If he, again, because he doesn't, he doesn't. He sees her as a human. He sees her as a girl. Mm. He sees her as not his child. Like I'm not saying that he doesn't consider his child because I absolutely think he does. I just think that there's
0: the biology of it.
1: Yeah, and and Vulcans
0: are so into biology. Yeah, yeah, and as late as the end of Leith he's saying,
1: "Well, I'm not really a dad." Right, right, because that would be, I don't know, it's, it would be on Vulcan. Stuff here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and Sarek is the least Vulcan Vulcan, and yet determined to be the most Vulcan Vulcan. Right. I think
0: what Sarek really needed was Tuvok to model fatherhood for him, but of course mm. he, he couldn't, you know, there, there's a bit of a timeline problem there.
1: <laughs> I always like to say that Tuvok is Spock and Uhura's son over in the Kelvinverse, <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's like, you know, mm. Sarek is a really great grandpa to Tuvok.
0: I, th- I think <laughs> Sarek would make a great granddad to be honest
1: yeah, like I feel he, like because he has it's like that it's the same thing of like that one step beyond like that he has with Michael that what I'm saying is that he can see her as who she is because he's not like trying to to put something on her he's not like and mm. I think that the grandchildren would be that same like an arm's length separating them, and so. He can just accept them as who who they are presented. Yeah, him as. yeah.
0: And I think sometimes people who maybe weren't great parents by the time their grandkids come along, they have sort of figured out how to do it. Mm. Uh, it so. usually means that they're the grandparents who <laughs> are like handing over candy before dinner. But
1: but so, but yeah, most of these. All of these all of these dead dads are that perfect mm. person that is absent that they remember fondly like even kirk never meets his dad his dad dies like 12 minutes after he's born but he lives but in he, he he lives in his shadow like the, george kirk is the most important person <laughs> in james kirk's life Yes. So, so it's very, uh, it's this, this weird, and I mean, I, I remember when I started my, uh, when I photocapped the, the pilot episode of Enterprise, and I ended it with, wait, is this entire series about Maddie?" Yes. Yes, it like, was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Correct. And then it's like, it's clear in the pilot so yeah yeah sorry um archer but jack crusher and ian troy aren't non-entities they're you know we we barely see them and they're have been dead many years right and before we even talk about them so we have talked before about how
0: Jack Crusher should be a lot more interesting than he seems because we know Mm -hmm. that that Picard doesn't surround himself with boring people, and I think that goes for Ian Troy as
1: well because Uh, who like the average would marry Luxana, right? Right, someone amazing, (laughs) right? (laughs) definitely not someone boring. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's, yeah. it's another one of those we... It's almost like we don't want to put too much effort into creating these characters that in the end don't matter because they're gone. And I get that. But when they are mentioned, they're so toast <laughs> yeah. that It's like, give me something. Like, it, you know, the reason we talk about Sarek is because he's interesting. Right, right. There is very little plot
0: reason for particularly Ian Troy to, to appear. Like, we barely catch a glimpse of him. We barely know his name. Right. And, and almost the most important thing we know about him is that he read Westerns with little Deanna. And I think that's so charming.
1: But, when, I yeah. in... when, <laughs> when I was in... When I was... Whatever age I was when uh, Next Generation was on, so mm. like not very old. Let's, let's say sixteen. I memorized Deanna Troy's soliloquy about her dad in The Host. Oh, it was there. Ve- it was like that, you know. It's, it's about how uh, he tucked her in and and picked her up and f- swung her around and was a dad you know great dad and then he went away and it starts with the first man I ever loved was my father yes she is saying in response to Beverly talking about like this crush she had when she was 13 uh I remember all the stuff about Beverly's
0: crush and none of the stuff about Deanna's dad because those are my priorities at that age
1: right yeah and that's it's the funny thing is that I've I've said that and I um I don't I can't do it now but I I used to just spout it <laughs> at people. And th- I was consistently told, I me- you know, t- other people would tell me, oh, I, you know, I only pay attention to the Beverly part of that conversation, or, or oh, I memorized the Beverly or, I wrote a fic about Beverly's 13 year old crush. And like, it was so weird to me <laughs> because I thought that the father daughter relationship would is more universal or is more like does everybody has a dad, right? So so why do people not pay attention to that? But I I realized that it's because that's what's you know, what's important to me is not gonna be with, and it's my bias. Like I'm the one who fell in love with Darth Vader because I wanted him to be dad. Like I I have (laughs) all of Archer's daddy (laughs) issues too. too. (laughs) I like um but I just remember that scene. Like, that was my favorite part of the host because it's a cringy, scary episode. And that moment of Deanna, because, you know, in previous episodes, when they talk about men, she wouldn't, she would talk about silly relationships that she had. Oh, really? And this was the first time where she opened up about her family, about her childhood about something and you know like we met her mom but her dad was a non-entity and i really loved that moment
0: no you're right and i think part of the reason i didn't respond to that bit of dialogue was because to me it was very weird to talk about your dad when your friend is talking about romantic relationships and having a romantic
1: crisis but setting that aside it, ends, it is but it ends with like she says, like, the, the point reason she's telling it is that she can never see her dad again. And so if Beverly loves someone in any way or for whatever reason, that it doesn't matter mm. what the circumstances are that she gets to see them again. It's what matters is that she can, she can, ha- she has that opportunity. Yes, yes. I understand so that I, now, I, but as I take a kid. Your, I take your point <laughs> by, like, you're right, it is weird, but also there was a reason and i just really loved it. and again i have dead parents so of course i'm going to respond to this idea of right that second chance like i i can i can psychoanalyze myself and mm-hmm. i understand you have self-awareness why this was important here. to me yeah but you know-
0: my final take on this topic is that uh, like you i love azetba and it's interesting that out of this list of dead dads, Gorkon is sort of the only one who's really a character. And he's yes. played by the wonderful David Warner. And it's Azetba who is sort of the afterthought to maybe everyone but us and a few hardcore fangirls. <laughs> uh, I have this headcanon that Gorkon was one of... He was obviously involved in the war with the Federation in the Discovery era, and he was one of Laurel's first supporters. And... Put his house at her service, and Laurel sort of mentored little Azetba. And, and so, while the chancellorship is not always passed down along a hereditary line, he and like Laurel and
1: Gorkon had planned for Azetba to be a, a chancellor. I just, I mean, I love. Gorkin and Isabour as characters, I think that they're a very like just like maybe thirty seconds. Of, <laughs> like they do not have a lot of time, and they're so memorable and so strong. And I one hundred percent believe that Isabour was raised to like she's like the you know Queen Elizabeth the Yeah, and I really. You know what, she's actually Queen Elizabeth II now that we've met Laurel, and I'm into that.
0: But But, yeah, yeah,
1: she's... Yeah. Not necessarily... She she, she ends up, you know, it wasn't just that they needed someone. Like, we have seen enough Next Generation and Deep Space Nine to know that Klingons are very particular about their ceremonies and their lineage and their pomp and circumstance. Yes. And I think that... The only way you can explain why Ezopur gets like to have that role is that right that they were preparing and that she was being raised for it and that she, like but she's so good. Yes. In the yes. dinner scene, you know, she is so forthright. She is so like just throwing it right at the Federation people. Like that's who you want in charge. Yes, yes, and she's very diplomatic about it. But I do think
0: that Laurel draws, like the writing for Laurel draws some inspiration from Azetba in the way she very diplomatically skewers Federation pretenses. But also she is a warrior and she is a pragmatist who understands that peace with the Federation is better than an endless war that will destroy them both.
1: And that can absolutely be a lesson that she learned Laurel. Like, right. I can see the through line now that we've had, now that we have that history that was told second. Yes. I think it's really great. And, and it then... just makes me more angry at the, uh, the Deep Space Nine era Klingons for being so terrible. I think about also. Women. I
0: think that starts with uh, Next Generation and the whole thing yeah, where de- the Jura def- sisters... Lorsa and Bator. Yeah, it they definitely... Yeah, because by this time women can't serve on the High Council, and I have to assume Ugh. that this is some kind of um, backlash against the Laurel Azepa era, just as the Trump era is a backlash against Obama being a single yeah, black yeah. man in the White House. Uh, also, in my headcanon, Laurel hasn't died, she's just retired and become a matriarch of her house and is, like, if I was a better artist, I would draw, like, Ash Tyler in the burgundy uniform and Laurel, like, watching from a balcony as the the Accords are signed. Aww. That's very sweet. I have I have a fairly detailed headcanon about Ash's beard in this era. It's big and it's grey.
1: Uh that's about it. I love Ash's beard. I love second season Ash Tyler. He's the only thing I like in all season. I wouldn't
0: go so far as to say he's the only thing I like, but he and his beard are
1: absolute highlights and I really miss okay. the man bun. That's fair. Is... <laughs> I'm sure there are other things I like, but he's the number like he is the thing that's improved in second season
0: yeah yeah and it feels like a logical extension of his character development that he did go away and do the work that Michael said he needed
1: yeah hmm i i love I love this putting Lorel and Ash into Star Trek Six, and we definitely need to i i would like I want the photoshops now yeah and i you know Tuvok was there yes and and uh and the original Plot was that the reason he left Starfleet after that was that he had an illicit affair with a Klingon woman. I am totally and, interested. And so it's obviously Zetbur, right?
0: Uh, I was going to say it's Laurel and it's this sort of May December Klingon vixen thing.
1: That's even oh my gosh. Okay, so I've I have I have written, but now I'm going to have a like I need to make this happen. Tubak deserves it. And so does Laurel and so do like all of them. They all deserve better. Let's <laughs> make so it can happen. That's what fanfiction is for. I am totally gonna
0: beta read this fic for you. Oh wait, you don't <laughs> use betas. When you post it to AO three, I will leave you comments. Yeah, I mean, if if you think I need one, because it's so complicated, that's fair. Yeah. He's a young, handsome <laughs> Vulcan who doesn't really like humans. She's a matriarch in her prime who has just quietly engineered the peace treaty that will change the face of politics in the Alpha Quadrant. Amazing. They they share
1: a night of logical love. Oh beautiful it's Mm. just beautiful and Vulcans are the best lovers because they can read what you need just by touching you. Vulcans do it with logic. (laughs) Do you have anything more to say about dads in Star Trek?
0: Just that I find it interesting that uh we haven't really seen many fathers in Discovery aside from Sarek and Mike Burnham but uh Saru's. And Vance has kids. That's true. And Saru takes on a parental role with the kid who's, you know, the very elderly man, whose yes. name I have forgotten. And I think I think that's important, and I hope that the themes of parenthood beyond just Michael's mother continue in season four. I would also like to see a character with two dads. Like, it's 2020 and It's less about the nuclear family and everyone coming from a heterosexual nuclear family, but we're still not seeing much queer parenthood in Star Trek, save for uh, Hugh and Paul sort of accidentally adopting some teenagers.
1: Right, and that is very... I don't want to call it a trope, but the gay men who adopt baby gays is a story that exists right right and, and i'm glad it, it exists in, in 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 star trek and i love seeing it and that's a good story
0: yeah and i'm suddenly sorry that we forgot to discuss it until
1: now but yeah i mean i didn't even think of them as but of course they absolutely are of course and... of course i would like to see intentional queer parenthood. right exactly
0: exactly intentional queer parenthood I have been watching Pose the final season of Pose on FX Uh, and that is very much a story about queer parenthood and the acceptance that parenthood need not be biological to be absolutely real and that you don't even like Electra is Blanca's mother I actually think they're pretty close in age but regardless it is absolutely a maternal relationship and I think I would like to see more of that in Star Trek
1: Right, hmm. right. So that's I, I wrote this paper on the portrayal of family in television, mm. and I focused on sitcoms, which we've discussed is very isn't it doesn't have a lot of depth. But yes, even though like my my point was that we didn't get enough stories about family that that is outside of the nuclear like we yeah. eventually we like we started with the beavers you know and then or whatever their actual name is and then like in the 80s we got hey there's black kids in black families and then there's also Asian families, you know, in the 90s and, and in the 2000s, you got, like, modern family, and it's like, look, they can be gay families, but they're always still uh, two parents mm. and a kid or more mm. kids. It's, and, like, there's divorced families, but it's still... There's this this very specific way of parenting. And yes. And we need to see the people who absolutely... There are people who are like, this is someone who is like four years older than me, but is more of a mom than my mom. So that should count.
0: And Pose fills that gap really beautifully, but it's about to end. So what is going to take its place? Also, Pose is only sometimes a comedy.
1: Uh, anyway so so i i mean yeah where there's progress i guess my point is there's progress and you can i can see there's progress in star trek the three seasons of discovery have been a huge leap forward for star trek like <laughs> absolutely catching up after after a few decades of, of failure to progress yes so that's that's great and but we shouldn't be complacent we shouldn't be like okay we've solved queerness Star Trek <laughs> you know, like, because no because then you trick.
0: end up with something as heteronormative as Picard and the first season of lower decks.
1: So so we need to mm. just keep going guys keep pushing and and realize that it's not even love makes a family it's people make a family yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I just
0: realized that we completely forgot to discuss Lower Decks, but I think we can file Mariner's dad in that category of decent guys who have slightly different values to their kid.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we barely saw him. Her mother is much more important. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, I'm going to say, that's great, I love the fact that we did our Mother's Day like maybe the first season of Discovery was around, but like it was very early on in Discovery mm-hmm. and there's so many more moms there and there's moms in lower decks and like prominent moms that yes. have yes a, a full characterization and like a relationship with their children. Yes. And even
0: Picard gave us the intensely complicated motherhood of Rafi. And also right, right. there's Deanna and oh, Seven. So, beautiful. so they've really done a lot of work to rectify the mother problem yeah. across all of so Star good. Trek. So well done. And I just want to see more parenting. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I, I would like to see more stories about parenthood in general, but particularly non-traditional parenting and particularly queer hmm. parenting and non-binary parents. <sighs> anyway, outro anyway. us.
1: We, we what's our talk? We don't oh, have a topic.
0: oh no. Um <laughs> um <laughs> We had so many ideas. Uh, I don't sh- worry about or anything. <laughs> should we watch Star Trek continues?
1: I'm scared to but I also want to. All right, we're going to make it happen. Okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at, at @antimatter nope. <laughs> you can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook, search for Antimatter Pod, all one word. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And we want them to. So get out there and go. Spread the gospel join of us. how great and terrible Sarik is. <laughs> we bring amazing <laughs> points <laughs> to the
0: discourse. We
1: make it better. And join us in two weeks when we will be discussing the fan series Star Trek Continues. Which neither of us have ever watched, and
0: neither of us really wanted to watch. So,
1: (laughs) but people talk about it, and we just want to see. Yeah, maybe it'll be good.